The following audio is from The Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit our website at grove.church. Well, hey, welcome today. Glad you're here. And uh, a bunch of us just came from men's conference over in the Tri-Cities, Pasco, uh, the last couple of days. It was an awesome time. And I uh, want to mention that, you know, when you hear stuff like that coming up, at this point, we're looking at kind of a rhythm of like next year, there'll be ladies that have kind of a conference or an outing and then the year after guys and kind of switch it off. But uh, man, and you hear stuff like that, I encourage you to be a part. It was pretty awesome. I do want to announce though, too, that um, <clears throat> there was a basketball tournament, three on three tournament. And um, while I got game, uh, there's other guys that may be a little better than I am, I guess. But uh, uh, Andrew and Jordan played along with Josh Hansen, did a great job. They had seven games they played. They won all seven and won the tournament. So I just want to say congrats. No, no, no. You guys can sit down. You guys can just sit down. You don't need to do that. All right. That's, that's enough. But anyway, um, no, we had a great time. Um, how many of you guys were here for Mother's Day? If you're here for Mother's Day, my hope is that you got a family picture with a llama because uh, we thought mamas and llamas, what a great opportunity. So if you have one of those, congratulations. If you don't, I don't know what to tell you. Go find one. But, uh, so, so, but the question came up, if that's for Mother's Day, what's going to happen on Father's Day? Like, how's that going to work? And what we came up with was um, caddies for daddies. So we thought maybe we'd have like some golf caddies hanging out. You can get a picture with them. But then I thought, you know what? Let's take it a notch up. And then I figured, let's go this direction. I thought, you know what? Every dad gets a Cadillac on. Fa- no, anyway, so I'll just show you. But um, hey, we're in a series called Dangerous Prayers. And if you're praying about a Cadillac, that's not what we're talking about. But um, Dangerous Prayers, I encourage you to turn to Acts 16. If you got a Bible with you, if you got a smartphone with a Bible app, that's great too. There is a Bible there in the seat in front of you if you want to follow along. I do want to say this. If you own a Bible, a physical Bible with pages, um, I encourage you to bring it on Sundays. I think it's important for you to kind of turn the pages, get familiar with it, have one. And uh, so I just encourage you with that. Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to be probably, I'd say, maybe 70% of the way through your Bible. So if you're turning pages, it's back towards the back a little ways. Um, as a new Christian, uh, I was I gave my life to Christ 16 and a half, about 17, and, um, and, and I started reading the Bible a lot and, and part of church gathering and being built up and stuff with other uh, individuals kind of walking that journey of faith. And um, one of the prayers I started praying was God work in my life. It, it was kind of a, just a real general sense, but uh, just like God just work in my life. And, and it came to the point where I would almost pray that, I think like almost every day, just because I'm like, man, I just want to be open to what God wants. And so just God work in my life. And then I started feeling scared because God starts working in my life. Okay, that's enough, Lord, for now. Let's just, you know. Um, but uh, it's kind of that thing where what am I opening God up to do in my life when I say that, and it's a prayer that I think is really um, an, an honest prayer from my heart when you look at it, it's, it's God anything. It's not like, God, work in my life and help me meet somebody to marry, or God, work in my life with my career, or God, work in my life in this or that. Literally, when you say, God, work in my life and just end the sentence, it's like anything, anything you want to do, Lord, which again is to me sort of a dangerous prayer. I remember, and then we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the conversation about trust as we ended um, our Mood Swinger series. And then um, Heather last week talked about um, comfortable prayers, that if, if a majority of the prayers that we pray revolve around our comfort or God doing something you know, for me to benefit me to whatever, um, we need to be really careful because this is a simple truth. As Christ followers, you need to know this if you're a follower of Christ, as Christ followers, comfort is not the goal. That was weak, but you don't like to hear it, okay? As Christ followers, comfort is not 
the goal. I remember, you know, one of the prayers I remember hearing, and again, I didn't grow up in church, but I watched The Simpsons when I was probably, you know, 14, 15, 16, and I remember his prayer, like deep, deep prayer around the dinner table, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, you know, kind of thing. And it's like, that is not the kind of prayer we're talking about. When I was, um, you know, when we were younger, Heather and I, we had little kids, they, one of them got a, a toy, a little stuffed animal toy that they would go to sleep with, and if you push the little button on the chest, it would say a prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep let angels watch me through the night and keep me in their blessed sight. And that's a great prayer and it rhymes and it's cute and it's fitting for a child. But this series is called Dangerous Prayers on Purpose. Uh, Heather mentioned that most of us might love a front row seat to a display of God's miraculous power, but none of us or few of us want to live out the setup required for a miracle from God. We pray God do a miracle, but there's nothing more challenging at times than being in a place where you're like, God, I need a miracle in my life, health-wise, financial, whatever it might be. Um, And I want to say this, as we mature in our faith, our lives have the ability to become significant for Christ's kingdom. And that's part of the filter for me that you and I are stewards of what God has entrusted to us. And I feel that weight as a pastor and as a church gathered. I feel that weight as a dad and as a husband and as a, as a follower of Christ is what God has gifted to me. Like, what do I do to be a great steward of my time, of my resources, of the people that are around me? How do I encourage and sharpen and build them up and help them become more like Christ too? And, and so we have an ability, all of us, to become significant for Christ's kingdom. We need to pray dangerous prayers. Now, some of those prayers I would encourage you to think about, not necessarily specific about dangerous prayers, but what about prayers like, Jesus, help my coworkers see you. Lord, I want my neighbors to know your love. Transform my community. God, stop the rampant drug addiction in our culture. Father, protect our children when they go to campuses because of the world we live in is insane. God, help our church make a difference make disciples, make great places for people to gather and experience your love. God, do these things. And you hear some of those, and here's what you do. In your head, some of you just went like this. Those don't seem like very dangerous prayers, but here's the catch, okay? What happens is you pray a prayer like any one of those, and he's going to ask you to be a part of being the answer. See, so the dangerous prayer, you go, God, do something in my workplace, and God goes, I wanna use you, and you go, no, no, I didn't mean that, Lord. Don't use someone else. They're better at this than I am. They shine brighter than I do. They're more mature in their faith than I am. But God is saying, you are part of the answer, and that's where it becomes dangerous. God, what do you want to do in me so that I can be that light in my workplace, and yet I'm going to be willing, I'll be willing to be labeled a religious weirdo because I really want people to know you. I care about that. God, what about in my world where you're compelling me to rework my budget so I can be generous and be part of building the kingdom of Christ? God, what about laying down mine, my agenda, what I want, what I think, for Lord, what you want, what you desire, how you would direct my life? See, there's something about this world we live in that, man, we love comfort. Just for fun, I was looking up the word comfort in the dictionary, and here's some of the words that are synonymous with comfort. Ease, contentment, relaxation. There's even a blanket called a comforter. I mean, wrap it around us when we're cold and we feel all, ah, that's nice. I just learned last week, and you can think I'm exaggerating, but I mean this. I just learned last week that comfort food is a real thing. 
I know some of you are like, I knew that. You know, I need deliverance. Anyway, so, but um, I just learned that because there's some things going on. I'm praying, God, what do I do? How do I handle this? Feeling kind of stressed out about some stuff, losing sleep about some of these things and a little bit of it's what I'm talking about today. And, and Heather and I were taking a drive somewhere and all of a sudden we're in the car and I'm like, I just really want brownies right now. I'm like, comfort food, that's a real thing. So anyway, um, I, I knew it for other people, but I didn't know it for me. Now pray for me because I don't want to load up on brownies my whole life, even though I, I love them. But Okay, um, that's not the message today. Let's keep going. In the book of, okay, actually, real quick, I want everybody to repeat, God work in my life. Okay, super weak, about 40% participation right there. Turn to your neighbor and say, come on, get with the program. All right. Okay, great, good. So. Now look at me and everybody just say this, God work in my life. life. Now here's the deal, you did this to yourself. That's, I'm just gonna say that. (laughs) You did this to yourself, all right? In the book of Acts, um, you you have the establishment of what we would say is the first century church. Jesus has uh, been on the earth, performed miracles, taught the people, uh, went to the cross, crucified, died, was buried, uh, was resurrected, appeared to the disciples, taught them, all this stuff, dealt with the issue of sin in our lives. That's the picture that means the most, that that was the issue of sin that Jesus was dealing with, the price he paid for you and I to be forgiven of all of our sins. And that's a big deal. Well, in the book of Acts, as it opens up, um, Luke, also the gospel writer Luke, wrote the book of Acts, and, and he basically shares the story of the first century church. Well, he's sharing about Jesus, and he's still on the earth in the beginning of Acts, and, and it says he, he ascends into heaven, but before he did that, he said, hey, wait and pray, and the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out, and you're going to be filled with power and be witnesses and stuff. And so then he ascends, and they're looking up, and like an angel appears and goes, just do what he asks you to do, go pray. So they go and pray, and this is during a feast in the Old Testament called Pentecost where they would gather um, to, to celebrate the work of God. And they gather and, um, and, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is poured out during this feast and they're in their own little upper room and, and this movement pours out onto the streets and people are like, what are you guys, like drunk? You're speaking in weird languages, what's going on? And Peter at this point now stands up and preaches a message about this is about Jesus and this is about what he was saying and what God has designed all the way back to Moses and David, all this stuff. And Jesus is the answer to, to all all of our, our mess and stuff. And they, they're like, what do we do? And he says, repent, rebaptize, give your life to Christ. 3,000 people were added to their number that day. So this movement happens and as Acts continues, they continue to preach and share the message of Jesus and, and, and it spreads and then persecution increases and it ends up uh, dispersing Christians all over the region rather than just in Jerusalem. So the persecution actually ended up being a good thing because the message spread to other villages and towns and cities. And um, and at this point, a guy named Saul, who's a religious leader, ends up in the picture, and he's persecuting, and he's sent with letters to persecute the way, persecute the church, and he goes and has people arrested, and people are scared of him, and he gives approval to Stephen stoning his, his, his death by being thrown, you know, rocks being thrown at him, and so there's Saul, and then Saul, he's on the road to Damascus, commissioned to persecute the church some more, and he has this revelation, this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, where he literally like falls on his knees, and he's blinded, and the voice and from heaven is like, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting and knock this stuff off. And he becomes a follower of Christ. Now the church doesn't believe it. The church thinks he's kind of sneaking his way in and wants to find out what's going on. And then he can really get down to business. And, and yet he really was converted. Well, the, the focus in the book of Acts moves from Peter and John and the original disciples or apostles now on to, to, to Saul, who's now become Paul. And then there's a point in Acts chapter 15 where 
Paul is on a second missionary journey and he's traveling basically the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea to different islands and to different regions in Galatia and, and stuff like that. And he's sharing the gospel of Christ and churches are being established. And it's an incredible movement. And on the second missionary journey, um, they head out and in Acts chapter 16, that's where we're gonna pick up. He came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was a Jewess and a believer. By the way, First and Second Timothy are written from Paul to Timothy. So this is his introduction to Timothy in the Bible. Um, his father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to um, take him along on the journey, so he had him circumcised. Everybody say, ouch. Okay. He had him circumcised because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. There was some question about obeying the Old Testament law as, as a new Christian and your freedom in Christ, and what does that mean, and what should we do? And so that's what they do. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in number. So everything's good there. And Paul has set out now, and it says this, Paul and his companions, this is verse six, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word of God in the province of Asia. So here's Paul, and he's, he, he knows the, the great commission Jesus had said to the disciples, and again, that wasn't yet Paul, but said to the disciples, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Paul is doing everything he can to fulfill the great commission as he's called to do. Now, in Acts chapter 16, verse 6, it says that they, they went a certain way, and it says, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word, the word in the province of Asia. Now, we don't know how they were kept by the Holy Spirit. Maybe they were kind of compelled, like we're not supposed to go this way. Maybe they like had bad pizza the night before, and they're like, we just can't move, we got some problems, or whatever. You know, I don't, we don't know why. We don't know how exactly it happened. All we know is that verse 6 says they were kept from going a direction they wanted to go. So they regroup and go, hey, let's try another direction. Now look at verse seven. It says, when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So once again, the Holy Spirit is somehow keeping them from going another direction they're trying to go. They're doing whatever they can do to share the message of Jesus in all these other areas, and for some reason, they're not able to do it. So finally, it says this, they passed by Messiah and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Here it is, Paul is so passionate about fulfilling the Great Commission in whatever way that he can that they're going, let's go this way, nope, let's go this way, nope, third time, let's go this way, and all of a sudden, Paul has this dream of a man of Macedonia. Now, the significance on a side note is this. So far, they've been in Asia. They've entirely allowed the message of the gospel to be preached all over Asia, and this is the point in this call to Macedonia where they literally cross a small inlet that would take them now to Europe and the gospel would be shared. And, and many of us in this room were impacted by this moment right here in the Bible when the gospel finally made its way to Europe. Okay, now let me, let me help you understand for a second this whole idea. The, the, the words of Jesus in Matthew 28, 19 have not changed. 
We believe at the Grove Church that it is our responsibility to fulfill the Great Commission to the best of our ability in the generation that we're all a part of. As long as we're alive on this earth and we're here in this together, that we've got to figure out how do we fulfill the Great Commission? How do we continue to make disciples and baptize and raise people up to to become mature in their faith and send people out in their communities and their families and workplaces and help them carry the message of Christ? That's been our mission. And for years, we've seen great things happen. And for years, we started with one service, and we added and added and we added. And we had five services. And last fall, we took a step back because the evening service, it wasn't what we were hoping it would be as far as opportunity to reach new people because our mornings were a little challenging. And so we stepped back from that. But we've tried our best to make room to reach people. So for the last five years, we've talked about a plan and we've prayed about a plan and we've made decisions based on different input and conversations and, and going, God, what do we do to reach people? So somewhere about five-ish years ago, we're talking with some architects, talking about our facility here. We've got the North property. How do we do what we need to do? And, and we were on the same page as far as, yeah, we need to sell the property. And I'll bring that up here again in a minute. And, and we need to figure this out. We need to figure, we basically a home base. We need to figure out home base. We need to make room at home base. And that became this plan in different phases to go, what we're going to do is we're going to build out this north wing that was, was just rooms and different things and didn't really fit what we were doing. And we said, let's make that a kid's wing because it's way bigger than the current kid's wing and we'll, we'll, we'll launch that. And then, because we don't have a lot of space, we can't just build, we've got a demo in order to build something. And, and if we move the kids over there and over double their square footage, then we'll demo the current kid's wing and that, that's where we'll put a new auditorium in that area and then we'll build out the lobby. It'll actually kind of cut off a portion of the back of this room, the balcony wouldn't be here. This will be kind of a chapel. We'll have an auditorium and then a lobby. And then we're required to redo all of our parking in the midst of all of it. So we're like, okay, let's, let's, that's where we're going to move forward to. Well, in, in the world that we live in, that's been the plan. But I want to let you know that with the economy and with things going up, as we're all aware, I mean, your home value, my home value, all that's good stuff. But it also means that construction costs have increased substantially. And what we thought even a couple of years ago it's nowhere near reality to what it is today. And we have different professionals that have been working with us and, and trying to figure out best decisions. And in a conversation we've had for the last couple of months, we said, what would be the best guess of a final number if we did what we're looking at doing, what I just explained to you? And just last week, he, he sent us an email six, eight weeks ago and said, here it is. And we're like, wow, that's kind of a big number. He sent us an email five days ago. And I'm like, Oh, great, the number went up. Nothing has changed except the cost of building, and the number is north of $7 million. And we're going, wow, okay. What we thought would be maybe in the $5 million ballpark, and we got the property we're selling and stuff like that, okay, that's, that we, that's, that's bite-sized, doable. You know, we step out and take a, you know. And, and so all of a sudden, we're here going, oh, my word, what does this look like now? What do we do now? Because we've said for years, and I still believe this, we're not gonna, gonna let this facility be an excuse for not reaching people. Can I hear an amen on that? Yeah. That look, we've got, we have so much time in our lives to make the best decisions to reach people, and we're gonna allow it to be an excuse for why we can't. And so we're looking at this going, okay, what do we do? Here's the reality, even last week, like seven million. The property right now, um, once we sell it, which we're, I think we're within a week of kind of the final, um, uh, what was it called? 
appeal period that, that people want to appeal the building and whatever they're going to do out there. Well, we're coming near to the end of that. We believe that there's a good possibility that somewhere in the window of this summer, we'll actually sell the property. We'll get the check. We'll be done. Uh, that's great. Now, the amount of that is $3.9 million. There's fees we have to pay out of it, and it ends up being around $3.75, $3.8 million, Okay. So you, let's say 7.4 is right about the number that they're kind of thinking that's probably your final number to do what you're looking to do. Subtract, su- subtract 3.8 from 7.4, and what do you get? I know, I went to Pilchuck, so what do you get? <laughs> and that was a terrible joke. Come on, don't do that. We love Pilchuck. God bless Pilchuck. Anyway, $3.6 million. That's the discrepancy between what we would have from the property and what we would need to do what we need to do right here. And you look at it and go, well, we could scale down and we've had some conversations about that. The truth is one of the things that has me really kind of, I don't know, frustrated is the word, but to, to redo our parking, which we're required to do, and some of it you look at it and go, it needs to be. It's like cobblestones broken, there's you know, holes. Some of it's gravel and stuff. We have to redo our parking. Just the ticket for the parking is just north of 1.8 million. And you go, well, that's like asphalt. Why is that? It's, it has to do with um, what we have to do for drainage, what we have to do for vaults and stuff like that. And it's like, Seriously, what we thought even, even three, four years ago would be around six, maybe 700, maybe 800,000 has now become 1.8 just for parking? And all these conversations were like, what in the world? Now, I believe God is a big God. I believe he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I believe that, that we can pray dangerous prayers and God's gonna perform miracles. But keep in mind what I said a little bit ago. When we pray that way, God goes, what are you gonna do? Here's how I want to use you. So in this conversation, I want to let you in on other portions that we haven't hidden from anybody. We've said it multiple times. Another option we've talked about is at some point, we believe that we're going to be launching campuses that eventually will become their own churches. Part of the vision of iHeart, when we uh, take a bunch of days in the summertime and, and we do iHeart, we don't call it iHeart Marysville because we've built bridges to Stanwood, you know, serving in, in those communities, Stanwood and Arlington and, and uh, Granite Falls and Lake Stevens and Everett and Tulalip. And we We've believed that at some point we're going to plant campuses out there. And the goal is that eventually they can just become their own churches. And we believe long-term that's part of the vision. And so instead of this conversation right now, we're going, well, what if we look at and go, at some point we're going to figure out the facility thing. At some point, the resources will be there. We're going to trust that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But what if we look now at maybe even just planting a campus as an opportunity to expand and, and fulfill the Great Commission in a bit of a different way and, and, and figure out how to continue to reach people. And that's some of the conversation. Another one is this. A couple of, a couple of months ago, I actually said to the board, um, I said, hey, at some point, churches are gonna start calling and they're gonna say, hey, would you take us over? You know, think, struggling, whatever's going on, would, would you do that? Like, here's what's going on, here's where we're at, would you just take it? There's property or there's whatever, just take us over. And I said that, I said, just so you know, that's probably gonna happen. I had no idea that it would happen. I just said, I think, just be aware. And, and about four weeks ago, we got a call and somebody said, hey, um, there's a church and here's what's up and, and would you consider taking them over? And they're about 45 minutes from here. And we're like, there you go, guys, I told you, we need to be ready, we need to be prayerful about what's going on. Not that we're doing that or not, But it's that thing where we go, how do we fulfill the Great Commission? And and by the way, aside from that conversation, just briefly, I want to mention this. For you and me, I'm a big believer that I don't care what career you choose. I don't know if you're an officer in the law or you're a school teacher or if you pump gas or you work at Boeing or you go up to Mount Vernon. I don't know what it is that you do for a career necessarily, but I believe that the whole of our lives, not career, but the whole of our lives is meant to point people to Jesus. 
And so I want to remind all of us that there's times where you go, God, I've been with my family this many years, and I've prayed, and I've tried this, and that didn't work. And God, at work, I, the coworkers, I pray for them, I've tried it, that didn't work. I would encourage you to be like Paul. To go, hey, if that didn't work, let's try something else. If that didn't work, let's try something else. We've said for so many years different things that I want to ring in all of our ears. It takes all of us for we to win. We've said this. This church is the kind of church where it's all hands on deck. We believe everybody's been gifted to be a part of the mission of God. We've said this. We give up things we love for things we love even more. The church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. We will lead the way with irrational generosity. We believe it's more blessed to give than to receive. We will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen from somebody? I mean, this is where we talk about our code and we use language that is meant to be all-inclusive. And today, literally today, is the two-year mark from when we started what we called the NOW initiative. It was a goal for two years to raise a million dollars with all of us going, what can we do? And today, we're at right about $540,000. It's not bad, but to be honest with you, it's not great. And we didn't reach the goal. Another piece of information I want you to know is this. Today, we have a far less percentage of people than we've ever had tithing and regularly giving to support the work and vision here, under 30%. That means 30% of the people carry the entire load of what needs to happen here financially. I'm just telling you. The kids wing, for those of us who help financially, it's, it's one thing that, to go back there and go, wow, they did this. Wow, they made it. It's a whole nother thing to go, wow, we did this. It's a whole nother picture. There's that buy-in, there's that sense of we together, not they. wow, look what they did for kids. It's far different than, wow, look what we did for kids. And I want it to feel in all of us that sense of we are on this journey together. Could you imagine if we bumped from just under 30% to 100% going, I'm part of this. I'm going to trust, I'm going to give, I'm going to be. And so for some, it's time to ask, what's my role? Honestly, we've said before, we're not here to consume, we're here to connect. We're here to be a part of a mission. How can I be generous and help accomplish the work? I'm asking you to pray about our future. And I believe it's a great future. I love that our problems are good problems. There are plenty of things out there that are bad problems. Even in church world, we, people won't come. We're closing our doors. We don't have this. We don't, and it's like, you know what? Our problems are like, how do we make more room? Can, is that a good problem or not? Yeah. And so I'm asking you to pray about our future, but also to pray about your place in it because it takes all of us for we to win. Okay, now everybody say, God work in my life. Come on, everybody say, stretch me. Now, you did this to yourself. Okay. Here's where I want to be very clear. Let me start with this. First, I'm sorry for all of those churches and church leaders out there who have manipulated or embezzled or mishandled church money. I'm sorry for that. That's also not us. Okay, because I know people get all weird, oh, the church thing, and if this is your first time, you're like, yeah, the money thing, not surprised. I get it. But it doesn't mean I have to not say anything. 
doesn't mean we hold back from it. Some people think that we get, we get a mattress full of money from the government or we got somebody that funds this thing all the time and they just throw cash our way all the time. That's not how it works. It's the regular giving. It's try, for all of us. It's trusting. I'm going to invest. I'm going to kingdom build. Invest in each, I'm going to help make this happen through each of us doing the part we're called to do. I can, we can tell stories and try to make you cry and get out your pocketbook, your zipper, your check, whatever, online give, whatever. And I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm simply telling you, we have a great vision, but we're not going to get there until all of us go, what do I do? What part do I play? Otherwise, we, we, we don't get there. So first, I'm sorry for churches who have mishandled, manipulated. I'm sorry, but that isn't us. Okay, the second thing is this. I'm going to be boldly clear with you. Planting campuses is absolutely in our future, and so is expanding our current facility. And so somehow, as, as you pray and I pray and we pray together, we're going to figure out what this looks like as we move forward month to month, year to year. And it's going to be fun to look back and celebrate, but we're on a journey of dangerous prayers. God, work in us because you've stewarded to us the responsibility to fulfill the Great Commission in our generation through our church together. So I'm going to boldly be clear with you. I'm asking everybody, will you take part in moving all of us forward? And what does that mean for you? Because I want to be done with the under 30% thing. And a lot of churches fall prey to that. The 80-20 principle, 80% of what happens is done by 20% of people. No, no, not here. So specifically, for some people, start tithing. And I'm just going to say that. Setting aside a sum of your income and going, I'm going to invest that into what happens at the church and further that because it takes all of us for we to win. I'm gonna take that step. And by the way, again, not gonna make you cry or whatever, but I wanna say this. We believe, we say this a lot, God is our provider. We say God is gonna take care of us. And this is one of those tangible ways to express or walk out our faith. And, and, and so we go, hey, what, what do I, what's my part? I'm gonna tithe believing that God can take care of me as I'm generous Towards the kingdom. And I, I, could, I remember specifically, I mentioned the college thing. Man, I have, it's not about me or bragging or whatever, but the truth is I have never, not, once I learned about giving, I've never not done that. Even in seasons where like, I don't have like, gas to get somewhere or um, the, my tuition stuff I had to pay and God said go debt free, but I was paying for it, not my parents or whatever. And I saw God provide all the way through and I never stopped tithing. I never did and I never have. And we don't do that because we go, that's, that's God's and we're gonna trust that he's gonna take care of with what's left, he's gonna take care of the rest. And so I say that reminding us, God is our provider. Some of you need to take that step and go, I'm gonna do this. Now, the second part would be this, to give above and beyond a tithe in order to help with the expansion of what happens here. For now, it may mean that we have to kind of postpone because once we begin the work on the facility, it's gonna take somewhere in the ballpark of 18 to 24 months likely, and it means that we've gotta have every bit of it as soon as we're in the midst of it and done with it, all of it. And, and it's like, well, where does that come from? Let me, be, let me be honest. It means this. For all of us going above me, what, what could I do? And, and I'm gonna say it like this. Similar to a car payment, what if you went, you know what? I could do 50 bucks a month for 36 months. I, I could do 100 bucks a month for 36 months. I could do, you know, 200 bucks. I know, here we go again. But I'm just saying, if you want a picture of how we can get there together, that's one of those ways. It's going, what could I do? Just carve it out per month. And go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that happen. I'm gonna designate it for expansion. Let me do, I'm gonna do that. And it's a lot simpler when you think about it. if all of us were part of that, it's doable. It really is. And then finally, and, and, and just to say it, some can do this. They can give a lump sum 
because the Bible talks about certain people that have been given the gift to build wealth. You go, you know, I don't need to do a monthly whatever. I have some means and, and I would love to be generous and I believe God's asking me to, to, to do that. And again, I'm not here to point at you and say, that's you and clearly you're the loaded money bags, whatever. Hey man, I believe the Holy Spirit can speak to each of us and however that looks, let me just say it again, it takes all of us for we to win. We are called to be stretched and absolutely, do I feel scared at times? Sure I do. And my heart race, even this morning, I'm like, here we go. Like, I feel nervous. Like, I am. At the same time, I believe God is big enough and somehow we can get there together. Are you with me on that? Do I lose sleep? Yes. Do, do I feel nervous? Yes. Is everything absolutely clear? No. But since when has anything been in our faith? Like, I don't know. Taking a step of faith here. God, do something. And we're in that boat. I don't see anything different in the life of Paul. And we're reading about Paul in Acts 16. You know what Paul said about his missionary journeys? Here's how he described him going, how do I fulfill the Great Commission? Here was his experience, and you're going to hate this. <laughs> I have worked harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I, re- I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, not pot, but sto- rocks. Anyway, um, Uh, Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and night in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in the danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Lord, not me. Anyway, okay. Um, Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul is going, how do we fulfill the Great Commission? And here's all of the experience, and it's hard, and it's challenging, and him over and over, God, work in my life. God, stretch me. And God asks the same thing of you and of me. Stretch me. Heather and I, we have four kids, and, and we've said that, I think, every week now for a couple of Sundays, so you all know we have four kids. But here's the thing, I didn't have them, she did meaning she gave birth to them. She did all the work of carrying and all that stuff, even through summer and being pregnant, all that stuff. But here's the thing. It's uncomfortable. It's taxing on a woman's body. And yes, there are stretch marks, and that's a bummer. You're like, did she allow you to say this? She read my notes. She, she didn't say a word. I was like, if she lets me have it, I'll say it. If not, I'll take it off. There's stretch marks, and that's a bummer. But guess what? It's worth it almost every day. It's worth it. We have four kids that we get to enjoy and love, and my heart melts, and I'm amazing. My son's in a doubleheader that I have to miss. I'm like, I hate missing him play ball. I love it. I love it. As a church, we're being asked to take certain steps that are uncomfortable and risky and sacrificial and will cause stretch marks. But to me, stretch marks are the sign of something amazing. Some growth, something going on that's a good thing. I look at it and go, God, it's worth it. Everybody say, Lord, work in my life. Come on, come on. Everybody say, Lord, work in my life. Lord, stretch me. Stretch us as a church. Father, today, that's our prayer. And God, there's all kinds of, of, of angles. This is one, and I get that for us as a church, here's where we're at. There's all kinds of ways that you challenge us to be stretched. And I pray, Father, that you would work in in every family and individual, in every mom and dad and every son or daughter and in 
grandparents, that you work in all of us, Lord, in the different areas of opportunity or influence we have. You're stretching us to be out of our comfort zone. And as a church together, just plain as day, on one hand, we're kind of stuck. On another hand, Lord, if we all play our part, if we take certain steps that we've never taken before, there's still ways to reach people without going, hey, let's just pause for three years. Let's not reach anybody for three years, and then later on we can. God, I don't believe that's what you want. I pray for your wisdom. I pray for your spirit. I pray for you to to, to move in all of our hearts and all of our minds. God, help us see and do what you would ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. If you want to keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.